Welcome to episode number 94 of Nurses Living the Good Life. My name's Ann Conkley. I'm a certified nurse midwife and a certified life and business coach, and I'm so glad that you're here. Today, we're going to talk about a word that I think is important and needs some attention, especially as we start thinking about next year and where you are, where you want to be. And uh, so we'll dive into it. But I first just want to say happy holidays. I know some of you are celebrating uh, a multitude of holidays uh, around this time. Uh, and I just want you to know that I'm thinking of you and I wish you a wonderful holiday season, whatever it is that you celebrate in your home. Um, I am sitting amongst Christmas presents. I've got boxes. I, 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 I'm sure this is your house. You've got the Amazon you know, uh, driver at your house, uh, often and dropping packages and, uh, and that's what we're doing here. Uh, so I'm just trying to keep, uh, tabs on it. I will tell you this, I told you, I think I shared this in one of my other podcasts, but we have a, uh, a, an evergreen tree. I don't know if you guys use that. We decided a couple of years ago to invest in a, uh, an, I will not say the F word, uh, an evergreen tree that is always you know, ready to, to come up and, and is already pre-lit. And, um, and it's a great tree. It's, uh, it's lovely. It fits our home just beautifully and has these beautiful white lights and you can change it, put on all different settings, but the tree breaks down into three parts. And, um, and so now we have three tree boxes and they're these big boxes that have wheels on the side and they house, you know, each part of the tree. And we, we store them in a, a storage room in the basement but the benefit is that when I take the tree out, um, or when I actually don't take the tree out, if we're being really honest, come on, I don't do that. Uh, but when my husband takes the tree out and goes and puts it up, uh, the boxes then become empty. And so we use those boxes as a way to hide all of the Christmas presents. So don't tell the children, okay? But for all of those of you who are parents out there and uh, you're looking for some ingenious ways to hide this shit and, you know, so nobody finds it, I literally put it in in the boxes and nobody checks in there, which is great. Well, at least to my knowledge, they don't check in there. But even if they do, I don't want to know. But, you know, it, they're tucked away, which is great. So I have this process of, you know, they come into my office, I've got all the boxes from Amazon, and then I sort them, you know, it's like the five S's for those of you familiar with lean <clears throat> methodology, and I sort them and uh, you know, <laughs> then get them down into the uh, Christmas box, get them wrapped and stuff. I also found out that for those of you who have a ping pong table, that a ping pong table makes the most fantastic table for wrapping presents. It's like just the right height actually. So, um, so, you know, use your ping pong table. And if the children ask you why there's so much glitter on the ping pong table, just say that, uh, your partner did it and you have no idea or blame it on the dog, which, you know, is routinely, um, uh, something I go to in this household. Uh, and I'm okay with it. And I, I, I think Stella is too. So she can take one for the team once in a blue moon. Um, so we've got boxes and it is a, it's a full, I've got a full den here and, uh, but it's all right. And I'm way ahead of the game, which is great. I made co Christmas cookies, dropped them off to some of the neighbors. Um, and made this one that is called sweet mix. Some of you will know it's that it's like, uh, crispix and, uh, pretzels and cashews and peanuts and, uh, bugles. Like, does anybody remember bugles? I used to eat those as a, as a kid. Um, but it's this, it's this, um, mix. And then there's, you make a sauce out of, it's terrible. I, I know it's terrible, but it's corn syrup. I make it once a year or whatever. Corn syrup, brown sugar, and butter. And then you make this, uh, sauce essentially pour it over and then throw it in the oven, bake it and, uh, put it into containers and, you know, give it out to the neighbors. 
And so everybody likes it. And so I usually make that. And I've made um, uh, Christmas wreaths. We celebrate Christmas in this household. And uh, one of my favorites is the Christmas, the little um, green Christmas wreaths with the cinnamon hots, the red hots on it. I love that one, but I did find a new hack this year in that insta I tried, I tried like a really I gave a really good effort toward trying to make the damn wreaths in, in the circular form. And I did a couple of them. I put Pam on my hands, I put butter on my hands, and I just could not get um these uh, things to take shape. And if you if you know, you know, because if you've made these damn things, they are sometimes finicky to work with. So anyways, I just decided the hell with it. I'm throwing it all in a pan, just like Rice Krispies. And then I'm just going to sprinkle the Red Hots on top and push them in. And that's what I did. And it was fantastic. So don't waste your time trying to make the damn wreaths. Okay. Just put them in a pan uh, and, uh, and, you know, cut them into squares. They taste just as great. I promise you. Okay. So that was good. Um, so Christmas cookies are pretty much done. I still have a round of snickerdoodles. Those are my favorite. Uh, I have a great recipe from New York Times uh, that's a sugar cookie recipe. It's super simple. You can use it for just about any cooking that you want to ice or, you know, make into different shapes. And um, and I also use it as the base of my um, snickerdoodle. That is a family favorite. So my children are waiting patiently for snickerdoodle time to come around. And it is shortly here. And then the only other one is... Um, I have uh, uh, peanut butter blossoms. Those are another big favorite in the household. Unfortunately, I have not found a gluten-free peanut butter blossom recipe that really does, is able to hold up. So if anybody has one, don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear your solutions for it. Uh, But mine is uh, a traditional glutinous. I don't eat these, though they smell fantastic. And my children and my, my husband, my family, they love them. So so, but, uh, so we've got the sweet mix done. We've got the, uh, uh, snickerdoodles. Um, you know, those are coming. Peanut butter blossoms are coming. The Christmas wreaths now turned into a sheet pan wreath, um, like object. Those are, we could just call them Christmas squares. Maybe that's what I'll start to call them, uh, with red hots. Those are done. And, uh, and then I made a uh, cookie skillet. That was my other one. Uh, for those of you who are um, have either traveled to or are familiar with the uh, New York City area in Manhattan called Levan Bakery, it is one of my favorites. And when I used to eat gluten, it was a place that we would go every time we were in town. And uh, I, we travel to New York, to Manhattan in particular, about once a year to see uh, a very good friend of mine. And, uh, there is, she used to live near a Levan bakery and, um, and Levan it's L E V A I N. They have one of the best cookies. Uh, it is a huge cookie. They are sizable and they are amazingly crisp on the outside. And they have this like gooey center on the inside. They are fantastic. They probably, I think their cookies are about a third of a pound. So they are sizable. And the owners actually started making them uh, way back when. Uh, I think they were cyclists, and they wanted a um, a carb-heavy, you know, a little bit of sugar um, and a little bit of chocolate and you know caffeine in it for at their post-cycling um, you know uh, restoration, something they could you know take on their uh, their trips and uh, you know and eat after their big cycling uh, events. So. But these cookies are phenomenal. And I've, I've probably over the years, over the past 15 years, tried, I don't even know how many recipes that are copycat recipes, trying to figure out like the exact, um, you know, uh, combination of, uh, you know, is it cornstarch or what makes them? Is it baking soda or is it baking powder? And, 
you know, this, that, and the other thing. So, um, but Levan, they make a really good cookie. And so we were invited to a party on uh, this past Friday. And one of the desserts that I like to make is a cookie skillet. And I bring my little cast iron skillet that is well seasoned. And I make the cookies ahead of time. I usually either freeze them or throw them, you know, put them into little, um, I use an uh, um, ice cream scooper. It's either an ice cream scooper, it's a little cookie scooper, or cantaloupe scooper, whatever. But they give me cookies that are, um, that are probably they, when they, when they end up baking, they're probably about a little over an inch, uh, wide. And so, but I, so I make my cookies. I found a, um, a recipe by modern honey, um, dot com for Levan style, um, cookies. The recipe is really good. I've made it many times. So I, um, made a bunch of these cookies and then I, you know, scoop them out. I put them on a, a baking sheet, throw them in the, throw half in the freezer so that they're there for, you know, you can bake these up individually whenever, you know, anybody wants a cookie, which is kind of nice. Um, so, uh, and then I put them, we usually, when we bake the cookies at night, we have eight, I, everybody gets two. And so I just put them in a bag of 16 so that, you know, if it's Tuesday night and I have a taste for a cookie, I pop them out of the freezer, put them on a baking sheet with a parchment paper, throw them in the oven, 375 for about, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 minutes. And they're incredible. They're amazing. Um, so I made this, uh, round of, uh, Levan style cookies and, um, and then took over my cookie skillet and it's a beautiful little dish cause it comes together beautifully. You take over the cookie skillet, you throw it in the oven at your guest's house, which usually they have a little bit extra space and let that, uh, cookie skillet warm up and then throw in, I probably put maybe 15 little cookies in there and then you throw it in the oven and it takes maybe 35 or 40 minutes, um, to cook up, but it cooks beautifully and it crisps the outside. And, and then I cut it into a pie. I make homemade fresh whipped cream, um, which is just, it's super simple. It's heavy cream from the store. Um, I buy organic Valley and then I put a half cup of sugar, a little bit of, um, vanilla into a mixer and mix it up maybe over about, you know, two minutes on high speed in a KitchenAid. Um, and turns out beautifully. It's just, just, it's such a good, you know, homemade whipped cream. Now I eat none of this stuff anymore, right? I don't eat dairy and I don't eat gluten. Um, I did of note, try to, I have tried many, many different combinations of gluten-free flour, whether it's rice flour, oat flour, um, cassava flour, you know, potato flour, potato starch. I found a couple ones. The one I think is the best for baking is, um, there is a Bob's Red Mill that is a, a gluten-free flour that's decent for like muffins and cakes. Uh, it's a little bit crumbly, but you know, it, it tends to hold up. Okay. Um, nothing holds up as well as glutinous flour in terms of how stretchy and, and you know, sticky it is almost. But, uh, but, um, Bob's Red Mill has a good option for cakes and muffins. And then for cookies, I still, King Arthur has a decent one that's gluten-free. Um, and, uh, but it's, it's not quite perfect. It's a rice flour. And so it tends to be, it just tends to be a little bit more crumbly. Again, doesn't have that stickiness quality to it that, that glutinous flour does, but you know, it's neither here nor there. So anyways, I, Thursday night, right. The night before I'm going to this holiday party, I figured I'm going to try a batch of cookies gluten-free and I'll see how they come out. And if they taste good, I'll use them for the cookie skillet. Well, I made the cookies. I used a different flour, you know, cause I'm always kind of tinkering with it. And, uh, it, they were, they were so flat and they had no volume to them and they were like little 
crisps almost, chocolate chip crisps, I guess we could call them. And I figured that was not the style that I wanted for this this big old cookie skillet. So I reverted back. I went to the glutinous um, uh, Levan style copycat uh, chocolate chip uh, cookie recipe and made those. And it turned out <laughs> fantastic. That was a huge, uh, it got rave reviews at the party, which is great. And, uh, you know, that with a little bit of uh, vanilla ice cream and some homemade fresh whipped cream on top and everybody was, was quite pleased. I made it actually for the adults. We went to a party, it was, uh, our whole family and several, um, fa- you know, uh, families on the street and, um, or a couple of families on the street. And, uh, I just made it for the adults and the children were not pleased. You know, I'd made Rice Krispie treats for them. Like they were like, what, why don't we get the cookie skillet, you know? So, you know, some things are for adults. I mean, I'm okay with that. Uh, and I'll probably end up making a cookie skillet for my children, at least here <laughs> sometime soon. So, <laughs> so, um, but so baking season is upon us and it's one of my favorite times. I love to cook and I love to bake. Uh, those are moments for me where it just feels you know, it's a challenge and it feels fun. And I, I love the, I love watching people eat, you know, the things that I've, I've concocted. And I just think it's fun to, you know, even if like nine out of 10 dishes that I make suck, you know, when I have either my husband sits across from me at the table and he eats something and he goes, wow, that's really good. I mean, it's all worth it for that one moment just of, to see the pleasure, you know, on, uh, on somebody's face when they have a really good cookie or, you know, a really good champagne risotto. I made uh, that the other night and it was fantastic. Um, that's Giada's recipe, champagne risotto by Giada. It's so good. I mean, I always double the recipe. So, cause you know, making one batch of whatever's on food network, the recipe on food network just does not, it's not enough. So, um, so, so we've been cooking girl, we've been cooking a lot, baking it up. You know, I got my oven going, uh, and, uh, you know, we're getting into the holiday spirit, which is good with all these boxes around and cookies and sweet mix and, you know, all the things. So, but we're, um, keeping up and, uh, private practice is growing. We've got, as you know, probably you've heard a nurse practitioner business accelerator starting in January. Uh, excuse me, in the first weekend of February, we've got coach training and a, a next cohort coming up. We've got all sorts of things in the, in the works, which is great and super exciting. So, but today I want to, I want to just dive in and we won't talk about this for too long, but something that I think is pertinent to this time of year, we talked a little bit last time about setting goals and about thinking about, you know, how can you blow your own mind? right? Essentially, like, what could it look like to blow your own mind? And if you listened last week to the podcast, I was talking about how, you know, the podcast we have, I don't know about, we had about 23,000 downloads. We're almost just about to hit 25,000 downloads, which is crazy to me, right? This is crazy to think that, that there are, there are 25 instances where someone has clicked on a podcast and, and I hope had a moment of either joy or laughter or insight or, um, reassurance or comfort, you know, from something that, that I've done with this podcast. And so it's just so exciting. And so we were talking last week about how to blow your own mind and, and, and what's possible when you start to think about a year from now, two years from now, four to five years from now, and how you may not know all the steps to get there. Uh, and you may not know what it's going to look like, but you can definitely take that next step and, and start to really ask yourself, what do I want? Um, and so 
in the same token, because I think December again is a great time for reflection and a pause. I also wanted to talk about uh, the New York Times word of the year, which I, th- well, actually it's not the New York Times, excuse me, because the New York Times word of the year this year, I don't know if y'all saw this, was Riz. Okay, Riz. Anybody know what Riz is? It's the ability to attract a romantic partner. Okay, I had to learn that from my son who taught it to me. Uh, but that was the, I'm just looking this up real quick. So that was the um, word of the year uh, for New York Times. Okay. And just so you know, if you look on New York Times, it says Oxford 2023 word of the year is Riz. Sorry, Swifties. The Gen Z slang term derived from charisma went viral this year after the actor Tom Holland claimed to have none. (laughs) So I thought that was great. Um, And the other word of the year that came up was authentic. And that was by Merriam-Webster. And I want to talk about that because I think it is a, it's pertinent to me because I run a business called Authentic Coaching LLC. uh, And it's part of my mission to help you exist in the world in the most authentic version of yourself and to have an authentic experience myself. Right. But let's just talk through what that means and how to apply it for this time of year and essentially for 2024 and what you're thinking about doing. So the definition of authentic, let's just get on the same page here. I love a good definition, right? So we're all, we're all operating for with the same, uh, understanding authentic. This is from, uh, the Oxford dictionary is, uh, an adjective and it is of undisputed origin or genuine. And, um, the, uh, example they give is the letter, quote unquote, the letter is now accepted as an authentic document. It is of undisputed origin. It is genuine. And I, I want to touch upon authenticity and being authentic because this is something, again, that's near and dear to my heart. And if you are a patient and uh, excuse me, if you're a client uh, of ours, you know that we talk a lot about authenticity as really that first step of being able to really leverage what you have and, you know, and, and, and use it to your advantage. And so we have all of my clients, I have all of them do a Clifton Strengths assessment, which is, I think, one of the best tools out there for getting a better insight into, you know, what makes you stand out from the crowd and what really defines, you know, the, the unique combination of, of who you are and what you bring. And I love Clifton Strengths. Um, and I've talked about this several times. I like it because it's a, it's not only a tool that's been, uh, you know, that has been used worldwide at this point, has a ton of data behind it. Uh, but I really like it because I think for many of us, it can give us a very different narrative than maybe the one that we have of ourselves that is on, you know, heavy repeat, right? You may think that you're the, you know, the person who isn't, you know, dependable or the person who sometimes doesn't follow through on things, or you may think that you're the person who, you know, isn't, uh, as who's hard on our kids. Right. But like, is that really kind of your authentic self and Clifton strengths will give you a different story and maybe a more true version, a more genuine version of who you are. And I love it for that reason, because I think when you have those, those things spelled out, you have your strengths spelled out again, number one, there's that level of awareness around, well, these are the things that make me really unique and, 
and make me amazing in the world. And now the next step is, okay, what do I want to do with it? How can I use it to my advantage and how can I leverage it when I go out into the world? What does it mean when I show up to negotiate? What does it mean when I show up to build a private practice or to go out and build a leadership team, right? If you know your strengths, you can leverage them and then you can have people, you know, build a team with people who maybe have complementary strengths where you are not as strong and you can have people who, um, you know, you can show up in a group and, and, and be very clear about where your value add is. Right. And so that, uh, you know, you can, you you can be very, um, knowledgeable and, uh, clear about what you bring to the table. And I, I just love that. I think there's, there's so many times in our lives when we don't have that. We, We don't come at negotiating. We don't come at building leadership teams. We don't come at building businesses from a place of strengths. For many of us, we, we may be more uh, inclined to focus on our deficiencies, on our weaknesses. There are many people out there who would say, uh, double down and, and, and improve your weaknesses. I don't play in that sandbox. I don't agree there. I think that's bullshit. Okay? Total bullshit. Don't spend time getting your weaknesses up to snuff. Just note them as weaknesses. Don't make it mean anything about you. And move on back to your strengths and think about if I were going to leverage these strengths, what could that look like? There's so much more growth and opportunity there, right? Because at the end of the day, the goal is for you to look at all of these strengths and to ask yourself, where's, you know, um, where's the juice worth the squeeze? Is it me spending time on fixing my quote unquote weaknesses? No, I don't win there. Okay. I don't, I really don't win there, but if I'm going to win, I'm going to take my strengths and double down and I'm going to use them and I'm going to, you know, use them to my advantage. And so with Clifton Strengths, I think it, it can give us insight into a more authentic version of ourselves, a more genuine version of ourselves. And I think the other piece of this too, that I've realized over the past couple of years, uh, coaching as many, you know, nurses and NPs and you know, healthcare people as I have, that there's also something to be said for the authentic version of you. That's the, uh, socialized and conditioned one, right? The genuine one that you have been trained to be. And then there's what we would call the real you, right? And so I think that's the other piece about authenticity to look at because you could take Clifton strengths and you could like me say, Oh, my number one strength is I'm an achiever. My number two is that I'm a relator. And my number three is, is that I'm a maximizer. I excel in executing and relationship building. And I have, um, I also have some strategic thinking in my top five, but that is not where my, you know, my, like uh, my main thing is right. Like if I'm doing anything, I'm excelling at relationship building and executing right? Which is incredible. And, and most people would probably agree with that. If they know me, I tend to be a doer. I'm very responsible. I've always been that way. Um, and I'm also somebody who, you know, loves in and loves to have conversation, right? And, and I could strike up conversation with anybody for the most part, as long as I'm interested and willing and not totally burnt out. Right. Um, and, 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 and my battery is somewhat juiced up and full right? I mean, you know, I am an introvert, so let's be real here. I need my time to rest and recharge and to get my battery juices, you know, back up to hundred percent. And, um, but most people who know me, know me that I can have a conversation with just about anybody. I don't tend to have a ton of enemies out there. I really don't. I, you know, I'm a pretty nice person. Um, yeah, because I, I, I like people, 
for the most part. I mean, there are a couple I don't, but for the most part, you know what I'm saying? So those are the things that really, that are, to me, there are things that innately are strengths of mine. Being a maximizer is uh, a um, quality of being a, a strategic thinker. Um, and, and maximizing is this idea of, right, like when I go to the grocery store, I know that I want to make sure that I only make one loop. So it pisses me off if I have to go back and forth and back and forth. Like if I'm in the fruits and veg section and then I'm going around the perimeter because that's how I shop. Starting fruits and veg and then I go around the perimeter, I get all of my um, you know, produce, my perishables, I get my, um, my frozens, I go get my meats, and then I go along the interior. And when I forget something and I have to go from the interior to the, the perimeter or the exterior, I, it, it annoys me. I, because I've not maximized in that way, right? Like, or if you're, if I'm the person who's out doing errands and I have three errands to do, I want to make sure that I look at Google maps or think it through in my head to make sure that I'm doing it in one loop where I'm not backtracking because that pisses me off, right? I love, I love the idea of maximizing. I love the idea of buying a purse. I have several purses um, and some of them, I would have probably more, but we got robbed so, uh, many years ago. And whoever was robbed our home loved purses apparently and took oh, like a gorgeous black Prada bag that I had and a Gucci. I mean, there are a couple of, of ones that, that, that I don't have anymore, but I'll tell you something. If we had not been robbed, I would still have those purses. I have several purses because for me as a maximizer, I know when I buy things, when I buy a beautiful pair of Chanel sunglasses or I buy a beautiful um, Prada bag or a Gucci bag or I'm gifted a bag or a pair of shoes. I have a beautiful pair of Ferragamos that are these snakeskin shoes that I, I absolutely love. I've had them for, oh my gosh, maybe 10 or 12 or 13 years, something like that. I wear them once in a blue moon, maybe once a year. And I'm totally fine with that, right? Because the maximizer in me knows I don't need to wear them right now, but I'm going to wear them and I'm going to wear them for the next 10, 15, 20 years or as long as I can, right? And I'll, right, it's the same thing for my purses. So, so I know these things about myself and that helps me on a day-to-day basis to be in alignment, right? So that when I go to the grocery store, I make sure that I'm got my list prepped ahead of time so that I can be as efficient and maximize my time there so that I can get home, unpack, and then sit on the couch and I don't know, watch a sex in the city or read a book or do something else, right? Get something done in my business, right? Like that to me feels really, really good. And I know that when I feel good because I am operating and let from my strengths and leveraging them, that that for me creates a lot of alignment. And the whole principle of that is just being genuine, right? Operating again from a space of authenticity, right? Operating from a space of undisputed origin, like, oh yeah, there's Anne and this is what she likes. And that's very genuine to Anne Conkley, right? So now there's a second piece though that I think we should just review so that you're familiar, which is this socialized or conditioned version of you right? What's the, what's the socialized authentic version of you? Is it the one who says yes to everything, right? Because if you had asked me 10 years ago, um, what's the authentic version of you? I would have said, well, I say yes to everything. And I am, um, you know, cause I was a, a big people pleaser and, um, I was, you know, writing super long notes, trying to make sure that, you know, they were perfect. And, and so, 
is that a part of me, a, a genuine part of me, the people pleasing the perfectionism? No, I wouldn't say so. It's more a conditioned response or a socialized response to being raised as a woman in the United States of America with the current advertising that we have and the current, you know, um, bikini industrial complex and, you know, diet industrial complex and medical industrial complex, right? Being a product of being raised in the family I was raised in, around the people I, who raised me uh, with the current messaging or the messaging that was around at the time that I was raised, whether by means of advertising or from my religious community or from my uh, teachers, right? We are, there's us, right? There's me. And then there's the system, right? The systems that we all operate in, right? The banking system, then the healthcare system, the real, the um, real estate system, the um, higher education system, right? So there's all these systems. There's a little me, then there's the systems, right? And then there's how I interact in those systems and what I learn and what I need to do in those systems in order to exist, to protect my safety, to, um, you know, protect my, um, intellectual property, to protect my, my heart, right? There are all these systems that exist. And so, and very often, if you've ever heard my burnout talk or lecture, we talk a lot about the fact that, you know, if I right there's me and all the things that I can do in my brain, and then there's the systems and all the socialization and conditioning that those systems require of us to be when we are in those systems. And very often, if I, you know, if I don't manage myself in the system, I very often can face burnout, right? Trying to work in a system that is not built for me, that was not designed for me, that wasn't, that didn't take me into mind or any other woman for that matter. Um, uh, cisgendered woman, uh, you know, when, uh, when it was created, right? And so many of our systems are like that just because that's the nature of living in the United States of America, which is, we are in a heavily patriarchal society. Um, and so, so I, I think with authenticity, I really encourage you to get curious and ask yourself, do I do those things because I was trained and taught to do them? Or do I do those things because innately it feels fucking great? Like I know when I get right, when I am, um, uh, you know, at the end of the day, when I am executing and I have a list you know, 10 things on my schedule for the day and I get them done. I know that that feels good to me. Why? Because it's probably a little bit of both. It is probably that I've been conditioned to do, but it also, I think plays to my strengths, which is that I am an executor. I do shit and I'm always doing it. I'm doing it in my home, whether it's, you know, rearranging the, we just, I had this conversation in our home, which is our, um, my kids come home, they have their backpacks and they usually put their backpacks at the uh, counter. Uh, and then their shits everywhere. And it drives my, it drives me crazy a little bit. Uh, it's, I think particularly bothersome to my husband, whatever, not a problem. So we said, we're moving all of the book bags into the laundry room. We made space for them, put in the chargers so that there's a, you know, essentially like a bag hanging, have the chargers plugged in so that they can charge their laptops at night, but they are going to hang those and, and, you know, hang them in the laundry room next to their coats so that that becomes the home for all the school shit. Right. So I was like, let's do this. Let's just change it up. And it required that I had to clean, we had to clean out some of the, uh, 
the items that were in the laundry room. And I don't know if I shared with you guys, but we had a fire in the house uh, on Thanksgiving. And, um, and it, it, we ended up needing to pull out the uh, fire extinguisher and, you know, that all that shit got everywhere that it's that like, um, if you've ever, ever used a fire extinguisher, it's that cornstarchy, dusty, I mean, I'm sure it's cancer causing shit that it just goes everywhere when you spray one of those things. And so we, the, um, fi- the, uh, laundry room is right across from where the fire, uh, started. And so it got everywhere over the laundry room. And, um, so one of the things that we did was, you know, it was kind of a fleecing of like, you know, when you do that and you're like, well, let me clean this shit up. And then you're like, well, I don't need this. And why is this here? And Jesus, what, what are we doing with this thing? Right. It hasn't been used in three years. And so we threw a bunch of shit out, which is great. And then it kind of pro- prompted this this bigger question of, well, now we have a little bit of space. I rearranged the um, hats and gloves. I don't know about you guys, but I use on the back of our door. We use a uh, shoe holder for all the hats and gloves. It's great; keeps them away from the dog. And then it's cl- it's it, they're small enough so that you're you can see what's in there. You can only put probably a max of one or two hats in there. And so it's nice because you know then everybody kind of knows where their their things are, which is great. Um, so, you know, I had that out, but we moved it to the back of the, of the door to actually make a little bit more space on the wall. So, you know, but I'm, I'm not the person who's afraid of tackling a project like that. I'm a doer. I'm a, I'm a, an achiever. I'm like, we got to fix the system. Let's go. Let's get to fucking work right now. I don't even care what else is going on. Drop everything. Let's fix it. Like, that's what I do. That's one of the things I know to be true about myself. And so when I, when we talk about socialization and conditioning, I think it's just interesting to ask yourself, but do I do these things for sheer pleasure and joy? Or do I do them because I was told that there was value in them? Do I clean out the laundry room and, and improve the system for housing chargers, cables, and uh, computers for my kids? Because that means to me being a good mom or a good parent or an organized mom, or because to me, it feels just like I'm winning. And, 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 and I apply that same methodology to everything I do, whether it's cleaning out the uh, drawer of uh, jewelry that I have, or whether it is rearranging my closet right? Like, I, right. Sometimes it's conditioning, right? Cause we've been taught to do that and we've been taught that there's value in it. Sometimes we do it just because it's innately like, yes, give me the thing and I'll do it. And I know about myself that put me in any sort of situation. I could be at home here. I could be at work. My colleagues used to laugh at me because in our old clinic we had, it was a, uh, it was an old, old clinic in the depths and bowels of the hospital. And this was an old clinic that we had before we moved and and built our uh, new center. But we had this tiny little midwife office that could see, you know, maybe three to maybe at most four people. And, uh, but I'll never forget on the days when it was a little bit slow, I would go through there. I would, you know, clean the countertops. I would just take the books down, dust them off, like look at the, the, uh, you know, the pin board, um, and change that, you know, take down the old shit, put up some of the new shit, reorganize it. If we had new guidelines that were posted, I put them up like, I, you know, and, and, and who does that at work? I mean, people would be like, oh my God. And I get my cabbie wipes, you know, and get my gloves on and I just go to town and I would just love that. So I know about me that I am the doer. I'm the achiever, right? Like the idea of having a clean desktop to sit at and to know where our resources were and our guidelines were and, you know, to have like a homey office just felt really rewarding to me. That felt like winning, Right. So I know that's not a socialized, necessarily a socialized or conditioned response for me. I do think it's just part of who I am. 
But I think that's a piece with authenticity that's so important for so many of us. It's just to make sure that, you know, number one, that you invest in understanding what is genuine for you, what is of undisputed origin for you as a human. But then I think also to ask yourself, okay, now next step is, let me get curious. And from a space of curiosity, let me just ask myself, are these the things that I've been trained to think are valuable or trained to uh, value? Uh, and am I doing it for those reasons or am I doing it because for me it feels really good? It feels like winning, right? Because if for me it feels like winning, like game on, watch out. I'll, I'll organize anything. <laughs> I love it, right? But if I look at it and I'm just like, oh no, somebody once told me that, you know, to have an organized desk meant that you were a better human. No. I mean, there's probably some truth in that, that I, I have probably had that belief system, but now I just look at it and I'm like, no, I, this is my, this is my workspace. My desk is going to be organized. I got a couple post notes here and there, but by and large, this thing is, it is organized. It's beautiful. Things match. And I love it right? Not because somebody told me I needed to have it clean and keep it tidy, but because I love it. So I think that's the piece for you is to number one, I want you to start thinking about, you know, what's authentic, genuine, and of undisputed origin to me. And number two, am I leveraging those things that make me authentic? And then number three, is any of that conditioned? Is any of that, uh, any part of that a result of a belief system I have or because someone at one point told me, well, you'll never be good enough if you don't have a clean desk or you'll never be the successful version of a parent unless you're, you know, the chargers and laptops and, you know, things are organized, Right. Your makeup won't look good unless you are, you know, uh, with the current shades and trends and, um, and, you know, making sure the brow is perfectly coiffed and, you know, the, you have a smoky eye with a cat eye, right? Like you got to just ask yourself, like, do I like it because if it's authentic to me or do, is there a piece of me that may like it because I was told it was good or I was told that was the way that it should be? Or because it, 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 it means something about me. And I think that's a great question to ask. And you may find that, oh, no, yeah, maybe it's a mix of both. That's okay. We're not here to judge it. We're just here to like peel back the layers of the onion and see like what does authenticity mean to me? What does it mean when I say I'm authentic? Where are my opportunities in terms of if I were going to operate from a more genuine version of myself in my interactions and in my relationships in the way in which I you know, speak to my kids or my, or interact with my colleagues or work with my patients, what would that look like? Right. And I think those are wonderful questions at the end of the year to ask yourself. And I love, love, love that the word of the year was authentic. I mean, how often do we talk about authenticity? We more talk about conforming or we, we more often talk about, you know, meeting the trends and bell bottoms are out and, you know, skinny jeans are in and right. Like, I don't know, but what if you're just like, but I never got off the wide leg pant. 
because I love them. Right? Maybe you're the person who's like, I just, but I love the wide leg pant and the look of it. Maybe because those are genuine to you. They're the best pant. And you're like, I don't give a shit if skinny jeans are in or, you know, Gen, Gen Z mom jeans are out. I like all of them, in fact. I still have actually a pair of Sevens. Some of you will chuckle because you'll remember Sevens, the brand. But I still have a pair of Sevens that I bought in college, okay? And I still have these jeans. Here's my maximizer showing. I still have these jeans. I still wear them. I fit into them. They're so cute. And with a pair of boots, like they're just like the, the cutest jeans. And they like, you know, but they like don't, you know, they're the old school ones. So they, they stop about two inches below my belly button. And like, I don't wear jeans like that anymore. <laughs> All of my jeans at this point come pretty much up to my belly button. And I'm totally okay with that. That's very authentic right now for me. Right. Um, but, um, you know, that's very comfortable for me right now. But, um, but what if, you know, what if, what if you're like, I never gave up the wide leg, leg pant. That's all right. And you're like, the trends can come and go. I still have my wide leg pant. I'm never going back to skinny jeans. I don't know, right? Like, that's the question. What's best for you? What's, what's the authentic kind of way in which you take your clothes and that they represent you, right? I love leather. I've discovered. I love black leather. I love it. I actually just asked for a Madewell beautiful black leather with um, brass detail on it from uh, Madewell for Christmas. And I'm, I'm hoping I get it. <laughs> I'll keep you posted on that one. But I love leather. I have this beautiful black leather skirt that I get from Rent the Runway. It is incredible in terms of how it hugs my hips. And I feel like the baddest ass, uh, like the baddest bitch out there when I wear it. And it's, I just, I love it. Um, I, you know, so, and I like leather Spanx pants. I just, I love, I love all of it. And so I don't, you know, like I'm probably not going to give up black leather anytime soon. I'm okay with that. It feels pretty genuine and it feels pretty, feels pretty in line with who I am. That could be because it's cool or it's not. I don't really give a fuck if black leather goes out of style. It won't for me. And coming and actually coming full circle just to think about it the first leather jacket I bought was black and it was from Florence when I studied abroad in Rome in college and I got it out of the uh, marketplace in Florence and um, and if you know if you've ever been to Florence I mean this is the place to go and buy leather goods it so and you can bargain and you can you know um, uh, bar uh, not barter but you, know, you can really like work with them to negotiate down on a price and I got this beautiful leather coat that I still wear to this day again my maximizer uh, showing and um, but it's a gorgeous it, it it hits just above the knee like it's a long and it's a um, comes like right in under the boobs like you know, a couple buttons and um, but it's a beautiful coat still have it but like I look back and I'm like oh yeah I've always liked black leather I've always liked it. I don't care if it comes in style, out of style. That's what authenticity is. That's what genuine feels like to me. The things that I like without explanation, without need to prove it to anybody. You're like, yeah, that's authenticity. So, so my challenge to you is how can I be more authentic to myself? Not because I need to be, not because it's the fucking word of the year, although I think it's a great word of the year. But just because what could it feel like to exist as a more genuine, authentic version of myself? What could that feel like? And could I feel really good and in alignment and really 
really confident and powerful and certain. I love those things. And I think when you operate from that place, man, watch out. That's a powerful woman, powerful human. Okay. So, so go get you some authenticity, go get it, go find your authentic self. And if you need some help, you reach out because that's what we do around here at Authentic Coaching LLC. So, all right, friends uh, and team, I hope you are well. Again, happy holidays to you. I will see you next time. And I, again, wish you a wonderful holiday season. And uh, we're coming in on 100 episodes, uh, first 100 episodes done of Nurses Living the Good Life, which is super exciting. Go share this with somebody who you think could benefit from hearing it. Share this podcast, please. If you have not liked or subscribed to the podcast, uh, go ahead and do that. When you do that, it helps that this podcast then gets in the hands of more NPs and nurses who are out there. And that means to me that we take a message and that I think is really highly useful and we get it out to more nurses who need to hear it. So, and into the hands of those who can use it. Uh, so, so do me a favor and like the podcast, subscribe to it and share it with a friend if you think that this is useful. So, all right, take care team. I will see you next time.